Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Well, it's, it's a microscopic percentage of the people in the world have ever done it. I would, I, I, maybe a few airline people, but that's about it. In exactly seven days, I went around the world. I have just come back from around the world, George. Didn't you know I'd even gone? I was, <laughs> that reminds me of a famous Charlie Brown cartoon. I'll, I'll never forget the, this cartoon. It's one of the very early Charlie Brown cartoons. And uh, that was early in his days as a loser. And uh, Charlie was at home, saying he, he obviously was uh, looking kind of sexy. So he was sick. So he had a headache or something. So. Finally, he picks up the phone and he calls his friend and he says, uh, he says, say, he said, I'm sorry, I couldn't come to the party. He said, but I'm really sick. I couldn't come to the party. You, and he's holding the phone up. You hear a lot of whooping and yelling. You hear the party going on. And the voice comes out of the phone and says, gee, Charlie, we didn't know that you weren't here. And <laughs> he went up the phone looked around. Well, now, that's the truth. I hear I've just come back from around the world. I'm serious. I, I went around the world in one week, and uh, purposely, uh, yes, you know, I mean, you know, do something like that, uh, accidentally, you know, you, you have to plan it, and I uh, went around the world in one week, and it's a very, very strange experience. I don't know of any other travel experience, in fact, I don't know of any experience that you can have in this world that remotely approaches that. It's a very curious experience uh, to... Uh, to go around the world, and and uh, the world becomes, how can I say it? It becomes something that it was not before you left out on the trip. For one thing, the world seems to be almost nothing in size. It's minute. <laughs> it's frighteningly little. And uh, I'll tell you the route that I took around the world. I left New York City. Uh, uh, from uh, JFK, uh, John F. Kennedy Airport, at 7 o'clock at night, Saturday night, a week ago this past Saturday, and uh, took out and headed off across the Pacific Ocean. And how it happened, a friend of mine who was, who was an airline type, friend over, over at Pan Am, he called up and he says, how would you like to take a trip around the world in one week? I said, yeah. <laughs> you don't turn that down. And so I quickly made the arrangements, and I took off. And and uh, I left uh, on the 7 o'clock, it was there at 7, 7.15 roughly the time was, and took out across the Pacific, or the Atlantic rather. And a few hours later, it seemed just like almost uh, momentarily later, because, you know, on, on these uh, 747s, when they got a good tailwind behind them, moving fast, you barely finish your meal. It's scary. You know, you're you're barely finishing the uh, the uh, the cuvoisier at the end of the meal. You know, they come along, they lay this stuff on you, know, and they, yeah, you know, and you're laying there, you you kind of lolling back, and and already you're getting the uh, the, the curious uh, jet malaise, 
you get a curious feeling that, that I always have felt guys who have lived all their lives in a really first-class harem must get. You know, a sated feeling. Uh, heady with rich perfumes. <laughs> and, and it seemed like almost momentarily the plane is coming down and we're in Heathrow, which is the London airport. And uh, being London, of course, it's raining. And uh, it was kind of drizzly and cold. And I walked through the long passageway. They got long. The London airport is curiously sterile. Now, if you think most airports are sterile, this is a sterile, sterile one. It's a, it, it seems to consist largely of pieces of aluminum hooked together by pieces of dirty glass, and uh, <laughs> over which there's a thick layer of cruddy rain that's coming down over London. And so I walked through this long passageway. And then it's it's morning there, you see, now. And it's still night back in New York, see, but it's morning here. Kind of a gray, dreary, drizzly morning. And uh, and all the, the, the people who were working around, they had this gray, pasty look in the face, you know, they, up in the morning. And, and even an Englishman looks rotten at that hour of the morning. You'd be surprised. They just don't make it, you know. In spite of being all, you know, with Richard the Lionhearted in their background, it still doesn't make any difference. You know, they still got glands and they still, you know, their eyes starting to look red at that hour. So I get in the line there with a lot of other ladies. And here it is. I'm in London, see, suddenly. And I've been in this airport a lot of times. And it's, you, know, you get a, when you travel around a lot, the airports get to be like second home. They're your reality. You know, you look around and say, oh, look, they, uh, They've changed the uh, cigarette stand now. Oh, I see they moved the bookcases over there now. Yeah. Oh, they've got a new lady working. Yes. It's, you know, you get like that. So I'm in the line there, and I have myself a scone and some, some British tea, and I'm sitting there waiting. And uh, I'm waiting for the next uh, leg to go, and they're, they're servicing the plane, which means they sweep out all the stuff and throw out the drunks and all that. So finally, the plane is cleaned up, and I get back in a plane, and we take off, and now... The plane just makes one big arc swoop, you know, shoom, up, and shoom, it's down. And now I'm in Frankfurt, Frankfurt, Germany. Well, I've been in Frankfurt many times, and the, the airport there is an old friend. I'll tell you one thing about Frankfurt. No matter how long you go there, no matter how many times you've been in Frankfurt, there's one thing you can't get used to. Uh, men, I'm talking to the men here. Uh, women's lib, uh, be damned. This is something you never can get used to that every time you go to the John in the airport in Frankfurt, there are three ladies in the John. Yeah, they work in the John there, see? And they come and they watch you. Yeah, they do. They, they wear these blue smocks, you know, and they come right in there. You know, there you are, you know, what do you do? You don't have to watch. You have to pretend like they're part of the furniture, but they ain't part of the furniture because the three ladies are roughly 18, 19, and 20 years of age and highly nubile. So here you are, you know, it's, you, you don't, <laughs> it, it, it takes a little while, but it depends on, on the urgency of your need as to how long it takes to break down the inhibition. And uh, so you walk in there, you know, and after a while you finally say, well, what the hell, I might as well, see, and uh, you wind up, you, you tip them, see, you, you throw them a, a, you know, a six-fennig thing and, and uh, you, you leave, you know. It's, a, it's an, an enlivening experience at the crack of dawn. So you walk out and, and uh, everybody, you know, it's another thing, too, in the Frankfurt airport, very different from the, uh, from the English airport. Remember in the English airport, uh, the, uh, the early morning is, is drinking tea. But in uh, 
in the German airport, everybody really is. At this, it's morning. It's real morning. And morning, morning. It's like a, what would be the equivalent of like 8.30, 7.30 in the morning here. All the, all the Germans look very sleek. You know, their hair's all combed back. They wear their hair real long back, you see, like that. And, and the, these elegant suits with a pinch waist and all that. And uh, what are they doing? They're all sitting around drinking schnapps, drinking schnapps with their beer, you know. And so I joined right in, you know, what the hell? I went in Rome, I'll tell you, when you're in Frankfurt, you schnapp it up. So I'm sitting there drinking the schnapps in the early morning. Well, they, they've tooted the horn, and I'm back in a plane already, you know. I'm, 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 I'm halfway, I'm maybe a third of the way around the world, see? Plane takes off, and man, I am headed for the, for the wild blue this time. And uh, I'm on my way to Istanbul. Oh, that's uh, now we're getting there. You know, that's where you can you can really taste exotica. Well, uh, we we landed <laughs> we landed in Istanbul, and of course uh, you've you, you've seen Istanbul. Well, when you're traveling around the world in a week, it's like uh, it's like you're traveling through all the outtakes of all the John, James Bond movies you saw. Now you know what is it? An outtake? That's the stuff that lands on the cutting room floor. You know the blurred shot of uh, two cabs uh, running into each other just off camera. You know that weren't supposed to be there. Two guys arguing over, a, you know, at the cigarette stand in the background. Uh, a dog doing what a dog does on the left wheel of a Peugeot in the back there. See all these things. Well, you're seeing all the stuff you know that you don't ordinarily see in the movies at these places. Saying there it is, you know, guys sniping butts and all that stuff. So here I am, you know, in the middle of Istanbul. I'm in the middle of the outtake world, you know. And of course, uh, one of, uh, what what I one of my problems, you see, is as a performer, as an actor, is it is it I can't help myself. I instinctively, I'm like a chameleon. I instinctively begin to take around, I take on the accents and the the uh, you know the the the, uh, the cultural coloration of of the people wherever I am. See, so uh, the minute I'm in Istanbul, I I begin to sit there with heavy lids in the eyes, you know, and uh, yeah. You know, as if I'm waiting to meet the mysterious lady who has just crossed over the border from East Germany, Mitter Films. And, uh, <laughs> and I have my information concealed in the hollow of my left heel, you know. And uh, <laughs> the two of us are going to have a... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you just can't help it. That place is, you know, it's rife. I, any minute now, I expect to either see Alec Guinness or, or, uh, or uh, you know, uh, Peter Sellers, uh, cleverly disguised as a streetcar motorman, you know. Uh, but uh, there I am in the middle of Istanbul, and I've just barely left New York. My my head is still back in the village. You know, my mind is still working in the village, but my body is in Istanbul, partly. Uh, it, it never comes entirely. So I'm sitting in Istanbul and, and uh, drinking uh, drinking co coffee. You know, they have this, uh, they have this uh, Turkish kind of coffee, which I happen to like. By the way, before we go any further, we got a lot of commercials. And, and this is a, an introduction show tonight to the thing because I took along a tape recorder I'm going to do a whole series of shows the next three or four shows on this trip around the world but you know my head is not here yet you know where I am right now still psychologically I'm in the Ginza psychologically I'm still in Tokyo and it's easy to be psychologically in Tokyo I'll tell you oh what the so you never think of the Japanese in those terms <laughs> but the, well what the heck you know the, the kids are asleep you can be honest Hey, you know, speaking of the auto show, uh, that was big news in Tokyo. Uh, yeah, this auto show, there was a lot of stuff in the papers in Tokyo. The various uh, English versions of the Japanese papers. Because there is no nation, and that includes our nation, 
there is no nation on the face of the globe that is more automobile cuckoo than the Japanese. They are out of their bird over. It's fantastic. That's all we talk about. <laughs> and and uh, and uh, it's it's a it's it's a it's a big thing. There there was a whole big, uh, well, a whole page in one of the papers on the New York Auto Show. Now that's to me fascinating because here I was in Tokyo reading about you know a big event that's going on in New York. And I'll guarantee you that, say, in the New York Times, you will not read a full-page account of, let's say, uh, a big auto show in Tokyo. You simply won't. Uh, even the biggest one, the, the one, the, the, there's one of the biggest ones in the year, is a big one uh, in Paris, big show in Paris. There's another big one in London. Barely mentioned in the local papers here. But uh, the Japanese are out of their mind over, over uh, cars. Now, I, I this trip, the, the great thing I've discovered about taking a trip of this kind is the curious insights you get that you don't get if you stay longer in a place. Once I've discovered as a, as a traveler, and I've, I, this is about the third time that I've been around the world one way or another, but this one is the first time I've ever gone around, actually just gone around the world in one week, just steady, like just circum circumnavigated the globe, just zapped right around the globe, that's all, in one week. And I discovered that, that, that something that I had been told a long time ago by an old veteran traveler, he says, you know, I'll tell you something. He says that when you, if you want to really do anything on a country, if you want to take great pictures and draw good things, uh, if you do any painting or drawing, do it the first 28 hours or so when you arrive in a country, because after that, you will begin to lose the sharpness of your eye. For example, the, one of the first things that hit me in, uh, in uh, say, let's take, for example, J Japan, the world of Jap the Japanese, something I'd never heard of before. You know, women's lib just hasn't come there. And, and so you see a lot of curious things. Do you know that in Japan, of course, they, they're great smokers. You, know, you, you probably know that the Japanese smoke a lot of cigarettes. They're real cigarette smokers. You see cigarette machines all over the place. Very jazzy, uh, uh, highly technical, fascinating, mod-looking cigarette machines. And and uh, one of the things that hit me right there is they, well, you know Virginia Slims? You know the cigarettes, Virginia Slims? They ain't that in, in uh, Japan. Exactly the same package, probably the same company. You know what they're called over there? Sir Slims. <laughs> Just, I'm just laying it out. I don't make the news, honey. I just reports it. <laughs> and there they are. It's Sir Slims of the same company, same package, identical package, which shows, you know, a, a vast difference in the whole culture. The idea of, of making a cigarette just totally for women is completely alien to the Japanese. And uh, but each one of these places, as you go, the, the more you, you, you go east, uh, as you begin this, this great world trip, uh, the, the more you begin to see that a lot of the things which you had always thought were cliches just ain't. In fact, you know what somebody has described a cliché as? They've described a cliché as something which is so true that people get tired of saying it. <laughs> that it is really true. See? So, so anyway, I, I, I was hit. I'm sitting in this plane, you know, and I'm flying along, and, and something had happened in Istanbul. 
And we're going a little further now, and I've been in Beirut for, for a while. We landed at Beirut, and incidentally, the thing that hit me about Beirut is that I was in Lebanon back in the, in the, in the late 50s. I was in Lebanon when they had, do you recall, when Eisenhower sent Marines into Lebanon. Well, I was involved in that. I was on the carrier, the Essex, the Sixth Fleet, see? So I was there when, when all the UN soldiers were there, and there was firing going on up in the hills. And uh, that's quite an airport. It lays right on the ocean there. Well, when we came into to, uh, Lebanon, absolutely nothing had changed. That's what hit me about it. All the other airports in the world are always continually under construction. I have not been, even here in New York, you know, it seems like LaGuardia. They've been making LaGuardia ever since I've been here. <laughs> There's always a big sign, will you please excuse us for our rotten airport, but we're working on it. Well, I think that's a standard airport sign, except in Lebanon. They admit they got a rotten airport. They just leave it there. That's it. See? And it's the same building that was there when I was there, you know, including the same shifty-looking guys standing around selling dirty pictures on the outside, you know. So uh, <laughs> I, arrived, I arrived there in, in, in Lebanon, and, and, and we took off, and I'm on my way further east. And uh, something had happened, which I will tell later on in the week on different shows. It just hit me. Kipling was right. That's all I got to say. <laughs> you don't want to admit it, but he was right. And so we're, we're traveling on at, 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 at the, the moment in Lebanon. Of course, Lebanon is is a is a is a very interesting country. I've been in Lebanon several times, and I think it's a beautiful country. Uh, it is the classical country uh, that is the biblical country of milk and honey. And uh, in some ways, it is. It's a, it's a beautiful, ancient, uh, strange-looking, exotic-looking place. And uh, the, even the ground has just, just every time... Well, whenever I think of, of that part of the, the world, there's a, there's a color to it. It's a sort of a, a red-yellowish color. This, the world is just a reddish-yellow, uh, sun-drenched color. And there's a smell to the air. And it's it's the smell, I guess, of baking rocks and ancient baking sand and uh, camels. Uh, they actually do, you know. And so uh, we left we left uh, Lebanon, and we were on our way to to one of the cities that I really the, this this is the place that I've never never visited, flown over a couple of times. But this is the first time I ever was actually there, and I was going to stay there for a while, and I did, and I'm glad I did. This is Tehran, which is in the country of Iran, and uh, which not too many people talk about. It's funny. Here's a city of three thousand, three million people. It's a huge city, and in many ways, one of the most modern cities I've ever seen in the in the Middle East. It's a, it's got the, it's got the a, a curious atmosphere around it. But the first thing that hits you is the uh, are the mountains. The mountains that lay around this city, it's, it's, it's just absolutely rimmed by mountains. And you look out of the window. I was in a hotel that was right, at, right on the edge of the mountains. The mountains suddenly jut up, just stand up like a, like a, great, uh, a great backdrop to the city. And you look off to the other side of the, of the mountains. You just lay, this big city is laying there. And there's a, the, the, the mountains are snow-covered. These are really big, high mountains, 17, 16, 18,000 feet. And the city itself is high. It's, it's three or 4,000 feet up. It's high up in the air there, and it's cold. there's a crisp coldness to it. 
You always think of the Middle East as hot. You know? No, no. Tehran was co- is cold. They, it really is a chilly, cold place, and the wind blows down off those mountains and comes over the, the snow. And uh, you can just feel it all the time. You feel that mountain wind blowing you. But the bazaar, which is the center, right in the heart of this city, the bazaar in Tehran, is uh, is just uh, it's indescribable. It's like a gigantic mole heap. It's it's it weaves in and out. Goes you can go you can go for like uh, maybe fifty miles. Just never see the sun. It's all covered over. You see, it's uh, in and out these ancient buildings, and there are thousands of guys sitting there drinking tea, peering out of the darkness, and they're selling everything from kerosene lamps to stuffed cobras. I mean, seriously, I saw a stuffed cobra for sale. So here's all this stuff, and it's just going on steadily. And all these women walking around with the, with the, uh, with the gods. Some of them are still in Perda, you know. And uh, you're in, you know that you're, you just know you ain't in the Bronx. It's just, just it hits you right there, you know, right where it lives. So I'm, I'm wandering in and out there, and I've, I've just see, I, I, I as again, I say, I, I don't uh, travel the way most people do. I don't have travel clothes or anything. I instantly. Uh, meld into the background, see, and, and the guys were taking me as one of the sellers there, see, people kept plucking at my elbow, wanting to know, you know, where could they score and stuff like that, see, and I'm, I'm just walking along looking cool, you know, with my glass of tea in my hand, looking like I'm on top of it, you know, that's the only way, so, <laughs> that's the only way to go, man, you gotta blend in, well, well, they, uh, then there's a certain thing, you see, you learn when you, when you go around the world, one of the things you should do, is is you should take about an hour or two hours off and actually do the thing that the tourists do. In other words, actually go on a tour. Uh, you know, get in this bus, and you go around, and you see all this stuff. You see, immediately you see all the things which are in all the books. Once you've done that, you've paid your dues. Then you can go and sit in the bar, see, and look real mysterious. And, uh, you know, <laughs> after that, you know, because uh, there's certain people who are, who are temple-oriented. In other words, there are people who really go to places to look at temples. Well, I, I uh, like Henry Ford, I feel once you've seen one temple, you've seen him, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm not a temple type. But uh, Tehran is, is, a, is, a, is another story. They play from the time of dawn, almost, well, in fact, it was, must have been before dawn, because they were playing when the dawn came up. Uh, my hotel was high up in the air. I'm looking down, and there was a big concrete part of a park. They had set up this big concrete uh, flat, uh, big slab out there, big, huge concrete field, roughly about the size of uh, maybe Shea Stadium, big concrete thing out there. And all over the concrete place, there's 50 different games of soccer going on. And, I mean, it's uniformed. I mean, these guys with the, these kids, they're all kids, you know, with, with red jacket, red jerseys, blue jersey and green, and they're playing all the time. They were playing when the nighttime came, and uh, they were playing in the dawn again. So every time I think of this country, I always think of these guys that they're kicking these balls around. You know, it's just going on. Also, I, I, I think, too, of the, of the Italian tourists. I am in a bar, this fantastic bar. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you, there's, there's nothing gives you the flavor of a country more than to go sit in a bar for Just sit in a bar, you know, just don't... Just go in and sit, see, so I'm, I go in this bar and sit down, and the guy comes in and says, what, you, what do you wish? And I said, uh, uh, well, I said, uh, give me, yeah, yeah, I have a beer. So you have to sound like you, you know. So he gives you this native beer. Well, of course, you, uh, the beer all over the world, every place you go in every country, 
they all have their own beer there, and, and it's a very wise man who drinks the, the local beer. Don't don't sit down and immediately start hollering for a Schlitz or something, you know. You drink what they their beer, see? So the beer comes, and it's in this dark bottle, and I pour it out. That it's, it's, uh, it's heady beer, you know. It's rich and heady, and it's, it's uh, about the color of caro syrup, you know. It's a dark beer. See, it's got a head on it, man. You could chip with an ice pick, see? So I, I pour this beer out. So I start drinking the beer, and I'm looking out through the window. Fantastic scene. Out, out the window of this bar. It's about 11 stories up, see, and there's nothing but these fantastic mountains. I'm looking at the mountains out there, and I could see part of the town laying below me there, see. So I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I hear this, the voices. Of the, in, this is a very exotic bar. It has, has uh, beads hanging down, you know, beads. You know, typical what you think of the Middle East, you know, beads, and it's got golden urns and stuff. And, uh, and right away I got to know the bartender. We're real good friends right there. It's right immediately, see, he... He could see I was a man of the world, see, after my fourth beer immediately. And I could see then he was a man of the world, too, see. So we're, we're both eating these cashew nuts, and <laughs> he's drinking a beer with me. And we're in there by ourselves. And all of a sudden, in, in, in through, the, through the beaded curtains comes this whole crowd of little fat people and, and large fat ladies. And they're all twittering like birds, see. And so they come, a whole crowd of them. And they've all got these little instamatic cameras. So one of them says, Oh, Farucci, he's walking with the beat the pitabata, but the covenant photographer. And I said, What the hell is this? And they they all gather around me and they're taking my picture, me and the bartender. See, and I imagine when they get back to, to Milano or wherever they come from, they have a picture of a typical Iranian native drinking beer in the middle of the afternoon, see me. So I'm sitting there, they're taking my picture, oh, about, about 50 of them, and they're all running, oh, crouches, crouches, whoa, you know, and so with that, they all go swooping out, they don't even have a beer, nothing, they go out, see, and, and the bartender, he sort of grins, and he's a, he's a mysterious Levantine native, and he grins, and then he says, he, he says it so well, it was almost like the way W.C. Fields would say it, he says, eh, Italian people. <laughs> I said, yep, that's right. <laughs> I says, they take my picture. He said, yeah, my too. They come in every day, take my picture. I don't know what for. He says, can I freshen your beer? I says, yep. He pours another one. So we said, this week, as I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a whole show, a whole series of shows about this trip around the world. Fantastic experience. I don't quite know how to say it because uh, it's, it's such, a, such a kaleidoscopic thing in my mind. But uh, I'll just give you a brief skimming tonight as I left uh, Tehran. On the way to uh, absolutely my favorite city in all of the Orient, if not one of my favorite cities in the world. I really enjoy this city. I was really looking forward to getting there. And I warned everybody, you know, before we got there, I says, man, if, uh, if you don't, uh, you know, just the people who were on the plane, they were then, a lot of them had never been there before. And I said, be, be, be sure of one thing it's going to be hot, really hot. And uh, not only that, you're going to dig it, you're going to really love it. And sure enough, about uh, two hours later, we're coming in over this green, fantastic uh, landscape, and you could see the, you could see it all rolling out there before you. We had flown out over, over some some of the wildest country in the world to get there, and we're coming down. And we have to take a special route, you see, because there's war going on all around this country now. And believe me, if this poor little country gets involved in this war, it's going to be really sad. It's Thailand. And the, the city is Bangkok. And I really enjoy Bangkok. I like the people and the, the whole feel of the city. 
And five minutes after the plane rolled to a stop and I was going through that wild, fantastic, uproarious, totally disorganized airport that is in Bangkok. And uh, I, get, I get in the car on my way into the city. There was a funny feeling, you know, I'm back here again. I spent some great times on one trip around the world in Bangkok, one time before. But the going through the streets, uh, it was just a curious, familiar feeling. It all came back again. Just the people, the look of the people. And incidentally, the people of Bangkok, uh, the, the Thai people, have to be the most beautiful people on the face of the globe. They are incredibly pretty. Beautiful people. I mean, physically beautiful people. And they got a soul to match. I want to tell you, they are something else. So <laughs> I'm, for, I'm going along in that car, you know, I, I arrive back at the ho at this, this magnificent hotel with the palm trees and the hot. Oh, God, was it hot. You know, it's 95 degrees. I strip down. I put on my, uh, my Puka Sahib shorts. I get out my pith helmet. And I get that, that, that look around the eyes of a Somerset Mom character who spent too much time on the other side of Rangoon where the sun comes up like thunder out of Burma across the way. Oh, God. This is going to be a week, friends. Yep. WOR New York, and you stay tuned for John Scott and the News. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc this is your invitation to a master class in engineering and design your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the lexus performance line a feeling this dynamic is invite only fortunately you're invited Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus performance line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.